You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Recovering Faith. I'm glad that you're part of the Recovering Faith family. For anyone who's uh, helped at all with this podcast, either being a guest or reviewing it on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else, or even just sharing the episodes on Facebook, I want to thank you for your support. It means a lot, and what really means a lot to me, and and gives me the confidence and makes me know that I'm doing something worthwhile is when I get messages from people that tell me that this podcast has helped them in some way and I really appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to comment and let me know what you think that would be great. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you haven't already I would greatly appreciate it if you would go ahead and rate and review this show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you're listening to it. Uh, That helps greatly with people finding the show. So, anyhow, with that, that, I will go ahead and get on to the uh, episode. There have been many times in my life when I probably should have died, but I didn't. I don't mean that I deserve to die, though that's probably true as well. I mean that with the circumstances, it did not make a whole lot of sense that I didn't die. I used to think that it was a spot of good luck that I didn't die when it seemed the logical outcome. But with how many times this has happened to me, I've come to realize otherwise. The statistical likelihood against one person accidentally or coincidentally escaping death or serious injury as many times as I have is astronomically low. Not only are the odds against repeated escapes extremely low, but the circumstances surrounding the events strongly suggest that there was some divine intervention on my behalf. The first few times I miraculously escaped death, I was not old enough to ponder whether or not it was luck or something else that had saved me even though it has been with me for longer than I can remember. I'm sometimes surprised when I run my fingers through my hair and they catch on the gnarly scar just above the hairline on the right side of my forehead. The only proof of a massive head trauma that I suffered when I was just a baby. The scar, more of an indention really, is about three inches wide and a quarter of an inch deep. But I have been blessed with thick hair, and it's always hidden where it can only be be found by touch. Since I have no memory of the event that led to the scar, I have to rely on the story my mother told me of its origin. I'm not sure how old I was, but I'd not yet learned to walk, and I was in one of those devices with wheels on it that'll, uh, the bouncy type thing that keeps, so you can have your feet on the ground, and it helps you learn to walk. Of course, my mother had locked the wheels so that I wouldn't wander off, making it easier for her to keep an eye on me 
while helping my father work on the outside of the house. My father was prone to fits of rage, and his moods were fickled, so it was nearly impossible to know what would set him off, and that had those around him walking on eggshells for most of his life. Sometimes, the very thing that made him happy yesterday would be what lit his fuse today, and led to an explosion of rage. And sometimes he was angry because he wanted us to do something that had upset him earlier and was angry with us because we did not want to do it. Whenever my father would ask me to do something that had earlier upset him, I was certain I was being led into a trap. Many of the things my father asked me to do caused me to play the scene in my head from Star Wars where General Akbar said, It's a trap! My mother no longer remembers what innocuous thing she said that so upset my father that day. But he was angered to the point of blind rage. Whenever my father went into a fit of rage, he would throw whatever was in his hands or nearby. And I do mean anything. On that fateful day, my father had a wrecking bar in his hands, and he threw it at my mother. Luckily for my mother, she had good reflexes and was able to jump out of the way, narrowly avoiding being injured by the flying metal bar. I had the unlucky position, though, of not only not having good reflexes yet, but also being immobile, and as a result, I was unable to move out of the way. Honestly, I probably had no idea what was about to happen, and I was taken by surprise when the wrecking bar made solid, co solid contact with my little forehead, and it did so with such force that it threw me and the walker back, leaving me bloody and screaming on the driveway. My mother wanted to take me to the hospital, but my father would not allow it because he was afraid that he would get arrested for child abuse, and he probably should have been. My mother was afraid for my safety, but she was also afraid of what my father would do to her and the rest of the family if she took me to the hospital, and she had reason to be afraid, so the best she could do was to bandage my injury and pray for me. This was not the only time I was hit in the head by flying objects when I was a kid, and perhaps that is why people think I'm strange. I can honestly say that I've never been in any social setting in which I've been considered quote-unquote normal, and that used to bother me. But I own my strangeness now. If a person says that you're a horse, you can write them off as crazy. If two people tells you that you're a horse, you can count them as crazy. But when the entire town says that you're a horse, it may be time to go out and buy a saddle. I can tell you, I wear that saddle with pride. Anyhow, my father had the hobby of making and repairing electronic circuits, and he always kept copper etchant around. And copper etchant, it's used to make patterns on a circuit board. Once the designs of the circuit are drawn onto the copper, and I should probably tell you what it is, is like there's this uh, type of a composite board with a thin layer of copper on it, and then if you take a permanent marker and you dry out the designs on the copper, and then you put it in the copper etchant, the etchant will eat all of the copper off except for where you drew, and then that leaves the circuit design, so you just have to drill the holes and then put your parts in and solder them. And when I was a toddler, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, and for some reason, I thought that it would be a good idea to see what the copper etchant tasted like. I probably thought it was some sort of juice, and I managed to remove the lid from the bottle. 
While I don't actually remember the event, my mother has a vivid memory of it, and she tells me that she was fast asleep and was awakened by a, lo a loud voice that said to her to get Jean. She heard the voice more than once and immediately got up to check on me, and she took the, way the jug away from me just as I was lifting it to my mouth to take a drink. My mother has no doubt that God saved my life. Sometimes we come close to death, and we immediately know it. And sometimes we only learn how close we came to losing our life later. When I was in my early 20s, I was in a rollover accident that I was lucky to survive. And not only did I survive, I didn't even suffer any injuries. Not a cut, not a bruise, not a strain, nothing. I was working for a construction company at the time, and I was remodeling a house out in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, and I had been waiting several days for the siding to arrive. The vinyl siding and other supplies, they were supposed to be delivered while I was working on another house. So early in the morning, the day after the siding and other materials were supposed to be delivered, I drove out to the house to start work. When I got to the job site, I realized that the supplies still hadn't arrived. So I decided to head over to the other job site to work until I could get in touch with the supplier to find out where my supplies ended up. On the way back to town, I took a different route than the one I had took getting there. I was driving a speed that was that somewhat approximated the speed limit. And when I came to a sharp bend in the road, I hit an icy patch and things got exciting in a hurry. It was a sunny spring morning and it hadn't rained or snowed in weeks, so I wasn't expecting any ice. But the road I was on passed through irrigated farmland, and overnight one of the sprinklers had been spraying over the road where it froze into a thin sheet of ice. Since it was a perfect spring morning and the roads were dry, I had no concerns about the conditions, and I was just cruising along listening to the radio. I don't remember what song it was, but at the time, at that time in my life, all I ever listened to was country, so it was safe to say that it was a country song. My sister used to tell me that I needed more variety in my music, and I would tell her, I have variety, I listen to country, and I listen to western. As soon as my wheels met the ice, I lost all control, and my truck slid sideways. When a vehicle is sliding 55 or 60 miles an hour across a skating rink, and then hits the dry section of the road, chaos ensues. Immediately upon coming to the end of the icy patch, my truck rolled. And it didn't just roll once, but three times before landing on its side in the irrigation canal. I held onto the steering wheel for dear life and closed my eyes in hopes that the glass that was exploding into the truck would not be embedded in my eyes. Young men are not the most rational of creatures, and when most people are in accidents, he or she will say that they saw their life flash before their eyes. However, my experience was a bit different. Sure, time did seem to slow down like everybody talks about, but instead of seeing my life flash before my eyes, I started thinking about my insurance, and my immediate thought was to wonder how much my insurance premium was going to increase as a result of my wreck. And while I never even considered the thought that I could have died until the next day, 
I'm amazed at the sheer number of thoughts that can pass through the human mind in such a short span of time. The entire accent, the role, everything probably only took two seconds. Three at the most. With the force, the driver's side of the truck struck the embankment. I have no doubt that the truck would have rolled several more times if there had not been a canal to roll into. Even though I was still in my seat, hanging from the seatbelt with my head in the water, my first thought was to turn the engine off to prevent any additional damage. Once I shut the engine off and unbuckled myself, I climbed out of the broken passenger window. I couldn't climb out of the driver's window because the truck was wedged on its driver's side between the walls of the narrow canal. When I climbed out of the canal onto the road, I looked down at my truck and I said to myself, Wow, that's bad. There's a lot of damage. In the roll, I lost my toolbox that was bolted onto the truck, the spare tire that was under the truck. I broke two axles and every single window shattered, littering the roadway for hundreds of feet. I didn't have a cell phone with me at the time, and a couple of migrant farm workers who couldn't speak English gave me a ride to the, their boss's house so that I could call the sheriff. The farmer told me that with how his men described the scene to him, uh, he was surprised that I didn't die. The county sheriff picked me up at the farm and drove me back to the scene of the accident. And when we were standing on the side of the road looking down at my truck, he put his arm around me and said, In my 20 years in law enforcement, I've never seen an accident this bad where somebody wasn't seriously injured or killed. Son, someone wants you alive. Still, I really didn't realize that my life had been in any serious danger until the following day when I heard on the evening news about a minivan that had rolled, just once, on the Malad Pass. All six people in the vehicle were killed. At that point, I knew the sheriff had been correct and that I was lucky to be alive and well. Extremely lucky. If it were just that one accident, I would chalk it up to coincidence, but that was far from being the only time I survived without incident when, by all rights, I should have been taking the big dirt nap. Honestly, I can't say why God chose to let me live on this or any of the other occasions, or what I'm supposed to accomplish in this life, but I'm convinced that I'm not here by chance or by accident and that it was only through divine intervention that I did not die a horrible death years ago. Since I've been spared so many times, I can only assume that God wants me alive for some reason, and that I have not yet accomplished what He wants me to accomplish. I said before that I was extremely lucky to have survived my rollover, but luck had nothing to do with it. There had to have been some divine intervention involved, just like the sheriff suggested. When I was younger, I used to obsess over what my purpose in life was, and I was greatly discouraged and depressed by the fact that I hadn't figured it out yet. I somehow thought that everyone else had their life all figured out by the time they were my age, and that I couldn't accomplish God's purpose for my life if I didn't know what that purpose was. I've since come to the realization that it's okay to not have life all figured out and that God can be leading me even if I don't know where he's leading me to. A person can follow step-by-step -step directions, given one step at a time, as they become relevant. 
and arrive at their destination without knowing the final destination ahead of time, not knowing where it is on the map or how to get there. What is required is to trust the one giving the directions, and no one is better at giving directions than God, even if they don't seem to make sense at the time. While I have no more of an idea of why God wants me alive than I did when I was young, I know that he does want me alive, and I'm grateful for that. I don't know what my purpose is, and I don't know what I meant to accomplish. But just because I don't know what it is doesn't mean that I'm not accomplishing it. The instances mentioned so far are far from being the only times in which I probably should have died. And as I mentioned in another episode, when I was a child, my father tried to drown me in freezing cold water. When I was a child, I also had pneumonia and whooping cough at the same time, which is not a good combination. And while I have no idea whether or not it could have been fatal, it wasn't fun at all. Shortly after I got my driver's license, I took a trip with my father to deliver a vehicle and supplies from Arizona to Idaho. And my father loaded everything heavy in the truck that I was driving. The route that we traveled took us over several mountain ranges, and as we were coming down the mountains in Nevada, I had the strongest feeling that I should not trust the brakes, and I would shift down as much as possible to slow the vehicle without using the brakes, and I only braked enough to keep the engine from racing too fast as it held the vehicle back. Both my father and I had a CB radio in our vehicles, and my father kept yelling at me over the radio, telling me to drive faster and to keep up with him but I was unwilling to take the curves any faster, and I was unwilling to go down the grade any faster than I was able to go up the other side, which is always a good choice. When you have a load that so encumbers your vehicle that you can't climb the grade with any speed, then you should never go down the grade on the other side any faster than you went up it, or you'll risk burning out your brakes or having a runaway vehicle. Uh, as Anyone who's been part of the Recovering Faith family for any length of time knows that I was a bus driver for a lot of years. And on one of my trips, I, had a, I was going over this steep mountain range, and we were probably only going 15, 20 miles an hour up the mountain. Well, when we got to the top, we started going down the other side, and I was only going 15, 20 miles an hour down the other side. And one of the passengers complained and said, hey, we should be going a lot faster. We could go down the mountain faster. And I said, yes, I know we could, but we don't want to. And she asked why. And I had to explain to her that however fast you go up the grade is how fast you should go down the other side. Because if you're going any faster than that, then you're going faster than what your brakes are capable of slowing down. And you're risking everybody's safety. So anyhow, that was basically why I didn't want to go faster than faster than I was going because I knew it wasn't safe. Just before my father and I got to Twin Falls, Idaho, my father pulled off the road onto the shoulder and I was pulling in behind him when my brake pedal suddenly went to the floor. I quickly checked my mirror to see if it were cleared to, to uh, veer back onto the road to avoid a collision with my father, who was at this time standing behind his truck. I would have been cutting off an 18-wheeler and would likely have been killed, so not knowing what else to do, I redlined the engine so I could get it into first gear, 
Then I released the clutch, which killed the engine and stopped the vehicle only a few feet from making my father a much, much shorter man. I expected my father to yell at me, but he didn't. At the time, I didn't know exactly why, but I later learned the reason, which is that my father had cut the brake line in anticipation of it breaking when we were going around the curves on the way down the mountain. My father never cared much for me, and he was always looking for a way to get me out of the picture, especially as I got older. But he was afraid that if I just left, I would send the police after him for the things I suspect that he was doing to the rest of the family, and for the things that he had done to me. When I was 19, I almost froze to death, neck deep in the mud. And while a lot of the events that led up to that event are irrelevant to the story, I'm going to tell them anyway because I think that many of you will find it entertaining. At the time, I worked at a fast food restaurant in Pocatello, Idaho, and one of my coworkers set me up on a blind date with a girl that they knew. I didn't really want to go out on a date at the time because the last attempted relationship I'd had had been a dumpster fire. And the event that we were supposed to go to was the night before I was going duck hunting. The way things were set up, I felt like I was obligated to go on the date. So I went ahead and went. Shortly after I picked up the girl, she started talking about how she sometimes wanted to get high again, but her probation officer would send her back to jail if she had a test that came back positive. Great. A real winner, I thought to myself, and I immediately started thinking of ways to end the day early without offending her. I have to admit that she was a perfectly nice person and was even quite pretty. But I was extremely judgmental and wanted nothing to do with a girl who had done drugs or had been in jail. I was judging her based on the things she had done, as if I were some great catch, and instead of trying to be her friend, I just wanted to get rid of her as soon as possible. I'm not saying that I should have married her, but she could have used a friend, and I should have been glad that she was no longer using and was turning her life around, regardless of why she was doing it. A lot of people can't quit on their own and they need help, and sometimes it's from the system. In spite of myself, I had a great time, and after dropping her off, I got home around 1am and loaded all of my equipment into my truck before going to bed. The reason that I was so set against going uh, out with her was because I was a Mormon at the time, and the Mormon church teaches that we should only date people who we can see ourselves marrying, and that we should only marry in the temple. This girl, while officially a member of the church, had not attended in years and did not believe it to be true, and was not considered worthy by the church for her past, for her failure to attend church, and for her doubts in the church. Since the only approved reason to date was to find a person to get married to in the temple, there was no justification in dating her, and the church officially teaches that apostates should be avoided as they will cause you to doubt the church. And an apostate is anyone who's left the church or defected from it. Once I learned that she was firmly against ever going back to the church, I had no interest in being her friend. I'm ashamed of myself for being such a judgmental and self-righteous person. I truly hope that she's doing well in her life, and that she found someone who respects her and loves her. She most definitely had a crush on me, but I made sure that she knew that unless she came back to the church, it was a no-go. Anyhow, 
After going to bed at 1 a.m., I got up at 5 a.m. so that I could be at the American Falls Reservoir and have my decoys set up before daybreak. When I got to the lake, the water was frozen to about 50 feet out from shore. So I left my little aluminum boat at the water's edge along with my decoys and shotgun and I parked my truck. I got in my boat and slid it across the frozen lake to open water, much the way Juan would launch a sled or a bobsled or something like that. I just started pushing it and jumped in and slid into the water. During the course of the day, I shot one duck, but someone else's dog swam out and carried it away. I had an interview with a construction company that evening, so I, had a, I headed back to where I was where I had launched my boat from so that I could return to town in time to shower and go to the interview. And uh, the interview, by the way, was with a company that I was working for when I rolled my truck. But this event happened uh, quite a while before I rolled my truck. When I was about 50 feet out from shore, my boat hit bottom. And I realized that the reason the water had been frozen that morning was because it was only a few inches deep. No problem, I thought. I'm wearing waders, so I'll just get out of the boat and drag it back to shore. If that was not the dumbest thing that I've ever done, it was definitely in the top 10. I made it about three steps before I sank to my waist in thick mud. The more I struggled, the deeper I sank. And I was starting to freak out. I mean, I was really freaking out. Not knowing what else to do, when the water was about an inch from coming over the top of my chest-high waders, I pulled the boat closer and put my arm over the edge of it to keep from sinking any farther. I tried and I tried, but I couldn't pull myself out of the mud into the boat. I'm not sure how long I was stuck in the mud, but I definitely had a lot of time to think about it. And unlike the rollover that would happen a few months later, I was certain that I was going to die. As the sun started its descent into the western sky, the water started to freeze around me, and I had the picture in my mind of someone finding me the next morning with only my head and arms sticking above the ice, frozen to death. What a way to go, I thought to myself. After at least an hour of feeling sorry for myself, knowing that I was going to die, I decided to pray for help. Honestly, I don't know why it took me so long to decide to pray for help. With about 15 minutes of daylight remaining, I saw a dead insect floating on the water and thought about how they shed their skin to grow, and that gave me the idea to climb out of my waders into the boat. It was fairly easy to climb out of the waders into the boat until only one foot was in the mud, but when the mud collapsed around my foot, it felt like a car was sitting on me, and I thought I might pull my foot off before getting it out of the waders. That, uh, that were being compressed by the mud. After I was in the boat, it was fairly easy to pull the waders into the boat behind me. And of course, I couldn't just leave my waders. I had to take them with me. They're expensive, you know. I then used my oars to pry the boat out of the mud and to push it back into open water. But after only about a few feet, the oar I was using broke and I managed to hit myself in the forehead before falling off the side of the boat and back into the mud. I managed to get back into the boat without sinking, but I was covered from head to foot in thick, sticky mud. By the time I made it to the nearest concrete boat ramp, the sun had long since set, and the mud had hardened on my face and skin.
Since I had been wearing boot, boot foot waders, I didn't have any shoes in the boat with me, and I had to walk barefoot back to my truck. In case anyone's wondering, no, I did not leave my shotgun in the boat. I carried it back with me to my truck. I'm too responsible to be leaving a gun all by itself. Anyhow, I thought that as soon as I got back to my truck that it would be over. But alas, I was greatly mistaken. Where I had parked the truck was not near as solid as I had thought it was, and once the ground thawed, my truck sank to the axles in the mud. Imagine that. After being stuck up to my neck, all nearly up to my neck in mud, or I guess up to my chest, and then finally getting out of the mud, and then falling in the mud and getting covered head to foot in mud, and then walking barefoot back to my truck, I saw that my truck had sank to the axles in mud. I was discouraged. My phone was in the truck, so after I put on my shoes, I called a coworker to help me get out of the mud. Uh, while I waited for my coworker to show up, I dug my truck out of the mud and tried to bring rocks and stuff down to make a path. And even with my coworker's help, it was nearly five in the morning when my truck was again on solid ground. So at this point, I'd been awake for 24 hours. After paying my coworker for his time, I drove to the ramp to pick up my boat. After loading my boat, I awoke a local homeowner to ask if I could use their water hose to wash some of the mud off. It didn't occur to me then, but it looks like given the circumstances, the guy would have let me use, my, use his shower instead of spraying me off in the middle of the winter with a cold water. On the way home, I fell asleep at the wheel, and I swear, it felt like someone slapped me across the face, which woke me up quite suddenly, I might add. Had I woke up a second later, I would have gone off the road. The rest of the trip, I drove with the radio blasting and the windows down. If you think this sums up my close calls, you're mistaken. However, I don't have time to list all of the many times in which my in my life where my life could have ended, and probably should have. When I was around 12, my family was traveling through Utah during hunting season, and we were in this uh, pickup and camper. I was in the camper and I was standing up, and I dropped something in the floor. So I bent over to pick it up, and as soon as I bent down, a bullet went through one side of the camper and out the other. And when I stood back up, I saw that where the bullet had gone through the wall of the camper was exactly where my head had been. If I hadn't dropped whatever it was and bent down to pick it up, the bullet would have hit me in the head. Uh, when I got my first car, when I was first learned to drive, I was driving uh, in a mountain area and a boulder fell from the cliff and missed the top of my car by less than a foot. And if I'd been driving slightly slower, I probably would have died. I have at least 10 more stories of close calls that I could mention as well. But as I said, I don't have time to hear them all, or to tell them all, I mean. As I mentioned before, you know, everybody knows already that I was a bus driver for a long time. And the trip that made me decide once and for all that I was done driving a bus was when I had a busload of teenage girls, and just before entering Colorado from Nebraska, 
an 18-wheeler crossed over the median, and we almost had a head-on collision. I had to pull over to the side of the road and collect myself for a while. I, I was shaking, and I told my passengers, okay, I, I need a minute here. And the driver of the 18-wheeler had about the same reaction. I think he'd fallen asleep. I had had, by that point, so many close calls while driving a bus that I figured it was like Russian roulette and that my number would come up sooner or later, and I decided to change my profession before it did. Of course, assuming the reason that I didn't die in any of those close calls was because God had saved me, then it really didn't matter what, I'm, what I was doing for work. When it's my time to go, I guess I'll go. My other reason for wanting to get out of the bus driving was that I was never home and I didn't have much of a life. I couldn't go to church or anything like that uh, because I was always worked on the weekends. And the close call with the truck was just the last straw. I'm still not sure why I'm here, but I'm glad that I am. When I was younger, I was certain that I would not live to see my 30th birthday. So when I woke up on my 30th birthday, I said aloud, Holy cow, I made it. I don't, honestly, I don't think that's actually what I said. I probably said it a little more colorful, but, you know. I don't know what my purpose is or why God wants me around, but I think, or at least I hope, that this podcast and blog is part of it. I've had people contact me and say that this podcast and blog has helped them and that it's changed their lives in some way, and... That makes all the difference to me. It makes it worth doing. And it makes me think that maybe, perhaps, this podcast is part of God's mission for me. If this podcast has touched you in any way, or helped you in any way, or even just made your day a little brighter, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for being part of this journey with me, and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.